Welcome everyone online here today in the overflow, in the family room. Great to have you all with us in whatever form. Who is going to have family not with them in Christmas this year? Yeah, it's one of the hard things about living in Dubai. We love Dubai, but we wish that all our families can be with us. So why don't we pray that uh, God will comfort us with the fact that he has brought us together as his family here at Fellowship. Father in heaven, we rightly do grieve the fact that many of our family are in our home countries and not with us. Some are, some are not. And as I've been reminded with my gorgeous Maddie uh, not being with me and my other children, I just pray, Father, that you would comfort us all uh, in the fact that we are separated sometimes from spouses, from parents, from children, from siblings and friends. But, Father, you have refashioned us in your family here at Fellowship. For that, we thank you. Give us soft hearts now, Lord, as we hear about the wonder of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love how the UAE loves older people. Since I'm one, I particularly am thankful. Do you know, when you get to my age, in government queues, you get fast-tracked? <laughs> if you're over 60? Yeah. You get discounts on movie vouchers. I love movies. That's music to my ears. Good country, UAE. Uh, and you know when you've kind of crossed that line when you're old, when pregnant women offer you their seat on a metro. <laughs> That's usually a clue you're the old guy in the room. But there's not a lot of old expats around. I know there's a couple of us around, but not many of us. We're a rare breed. I think 8.5% are over the age of 54 in the UAE. Only 2% are over the age of 65. So we live in this new nation with a long history with lots of youngish people. And by young, I mean people in their 40s, right? Now, the mark of a good government is the way it transitions from one generation to the next. And we saw May last year, was it, with the sad passing away of Sheikh Khalifa bin Zayed al Nayan in May when he sadly died. But that smooth transition when the Federal Supreme Council appointed his half-brother, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed al Nayan, And I thought, what a smooth transition. Never take that for granted. I know many of you come from countries where whenever there's kind of an election, everyone's on knife edge because you know bullets can be uh, shot and bombs can be exploded. The trans smooth transition we have in the UAE is something we ought to thank God for. Now, I say all that as a background to Luke, the third account of the life of Jesus. We've got here a generational change from older generation to younger generation. But more than that, we've got a shift from old covenant to new. And what a smooth transition that is. And I tell you, you know what that's a reminder of? That Christianity isn't a new religion that popped out of the blue. It actually is the complete fulfillment of everything expected in the old covenant. The old covenant, represented by the older generation, four old people. Uh, we, you, we saw of the parents of John the Baptist, Elizabeth and Zechariah, who were righteous and devout. Today we're going to hear of Simeon and then, and then Anna. Um, now, of course, anyone can be old. Here's a tip to get to being old. Just keep breathing and you get to my age. Keep breathing more and you get to 100. But old and godly, now that, those two don't automatically go. But that's what we've got here. The faithful children of Abraham who were, point one, seeking for God's salvation in the old covenant. That's what they were doing. 
One of those godly souls, old godly souls, was Simeon himself, spirit-filled with a special word for this son of Mary and Joseph. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Notice he was righteous and devout, part of God's faithful remnant that he preserved. Even through Israel's disobedience, he always kept the people for himself. And the hope that marked out godly saints of old was that they were looking forward to the great comfort of Israel. That is, the great forgiveness that God would provide his people and the world. But who would bring that comfort? And when would he come? And so as the Bible unfolds in the Old Testament, you, you kind of God gives more and more specific criteria so that when he comes, you won't miss him. It's very important. So, for example, it starts way back in Genesis 3.15, where we're told that he will be a human. He's not going to be an angel. Okay, so we're not expecting him to be an angel. Genesis 3.15, he'll be an offspring of Eve. Okay, now of all the nations, he'll come from only one nation, the seed of Abraham. Salvation comes from the Jews. That's what Jesus said, uh, Genesis 12. And then in Genesis 49, we know that of all the 12 tribes of Israel, he comes from one tribe, the tribe of Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. Then of all the clans and family lines within the tribe of Judah, he will come from just one, the line of Jesse, King David, Isaiah 7. And then of all, sorry, 2 Samuel 7. And then of all the women in the clan of Jesse and the line of David, he will be born to a virgin. Well, that's pretty specific. There's not, not a whole lot of virgins giving birth to children. So we've really narrowed it down now, Isaiah 7. And then of all the towns where he would be born in Judea, and there were lots of them, he would come from, be born in one town, which is Bethlehem, Micah 5. So these promises that are being scattered over thousands of years, and it's clear, unlike the people of Dubai, God is not in a rush. An afternoon nap for the Lord is like a thousand years for the rest of us. But we're not still sure when he would come until that moment when the angel Gabriel spoke to Joseph and Mary and said, she will be born, uh, a child will be born to Virgin Mary and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Bang. Now the clock is ticking. 2,000 years of waiting come down to now only nine months to go. Even Simeon was told that he's not going to die before he sees the Lord's Messiah. And there is Joseph and Mary. They come into the temple to do the dedication of their firstborn as the law of Moses required. And the spirit of the Lord leads Simeon. Now, remember, there's probably a number of children being dedicated. But Simeon goes straight to baby Jesus being held by Mary and Joseph. And puts his hand on him and, and takes him into his hands. And you know what I think of at this point? Remember Lion King? Remember Simba when he's held up? This is Morfasa's boy. I love that scene. Well, it's like, it's like Simeon saying, this is the Lord's Messiah. At last, the waiting is over. I tell you, when you've been a people waiting for a long time, this is a great moment. You know, after I was born, um, I was told that my mother had lifted me up in the hospital and dedicated me to the Lord. What does this mean? And then I discovered every Maltese mother dedicates their children. Oh, there's nothing. 
I thought there was some future prophecy in it. No, no, nothing. <laughs> Mary, she had such high hopes and great fears for her son, for herself, for her people. And those seeking for salvation in the old, co- uh, old covenant are now seeing God's salvation in the new covenant. Point two. Verse 28. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, oh, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I love how Simeon's prophecy led by the Spirit is so focused on Jesus, because every true prophecy is focused on Jesus. To see Jesus is to see so many things. To see Jesus is to see God keep his many promises. Think about it. Thousands of years, hundreds of promises find their yes in Jesus in one moment. God always keeps his word. You know, Samuel said, the prophet Samuel said, God is not a man that he should lie. I love that. Humans, we lie. God does not lie, will not lie, cannot lie. That's why he's the only being you can fully trust. To see Jesus is to see salvation itself. You know, Jesus is not just a means to salvation. You know, it's true to say, believe in Jesus and you'll be forgiven, have eternal life, adopted, etc., etc. But but he's more than that. To see Jesus is to see salvation. Here's a little uh, experiment. Close your eyes now. I just want you to close your eyes, whether you're online, in overflow, parents' room, or in this hall. Just close your eyes. And I want to read you a quote from John Piper, and I want to see how you're going to answer this question. And the question is this, as you close your eyes. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness... And with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural desires, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ, we're not there. Oh. Gee, that's a hard one. I think I'm supposed to say no. But I'm so interested in the furniture of heaven that I forget the king of heaven. And I wonder if that's the challenge for you and I. You know, to have Jesus is to have everything And if he's not there, I don't want to be there. I'm not there yet. I'll be honest with you. To see Jesus is to see the hope for the whole world. His was a salvation, not just for one nation, but for all nations. That's radical. You know, those in darkness will see, those who see will be glorified. Can I say, friends... Uh, I, you know, I love about my clearly that's what one of the things we delight here at fellowship. You know, the, the 120 nations, praise the Lord. Hey, but even in my small group, I got a Nigerian, I got a Lebanese, uh, I got an Iranian, I got myself a Maltese Australian. I think this is amazing. 
that Jesus came 2,000 years ago for all of us, not just part of us. That's why we're doing the survey. So thank you for those who filled out the survey last week. I know we had some trouble. The purpose of the survey is that we've been wisely encouraged to take advantage of our two present sites rather than go for a third site at this stage. So that's what we're doing, and we wanted to survey you to see what other options we can have over the weekend so that we can create more gospel communities, uh, so that more people can ha have access to uh, the gospel and hear the good news of Jesus. So if you haven't filled out the survey, there's a QR, there's a QR code. Uh, take it, and then at the end of the service, can you fill it out? Because the more information we have, it helps determine when the next service will be and uh, so that more people can join us. Now, to see Jesus, get this, is to have all that you need. Once Simeon laid eyes on the Lord Jesus, you know, what, remember what he said? You can now dismiss me, Lord. That is, I'm happy to die. I've only got one thing on my bucket list, <laughs> and it's to see the Lord Jesus. You know about bucket lists, don't you? You know, those things you want to do or... You're encouraged to do before you breathe your last, you know, fall in love, get married, have children, uh, see the uh, Great Wall of China, go to a safari in Africa, uh, pyramids in, in, um, in Egypt, Taj Mahal in India, sleep under the stars. That's the one I can do. It's, it's free and cheap. Uh, fly in a hot air balloon, whale watching. These are all good things. And as my mentor always said, and I think they're very wise words, he says, heaven is for everything you never had the time, the money, or the guts to do here on earth. Take the pressure off you. But friends, there's only one thing you need to have on your, on your, um, on your bucket list, and it's this. <laughs> Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's it. Call upon him while he is near. Today is the day of salvation. Take that one off your bucket list, and everything else is just a footnote. Amen? Can I just say, if you're here today or you're online and you're, or you're in the overflow room or the parents' room and you haven't taken the hand of this awesome Savior, take his hand, for he's offering you salvation, salvation in every possible way. Now, it's not just the older generation who are righteously looking forward to the Messiah and seeking to be devout. The younger generation are as well. Mary and Joseph are such a lovely model. Do you notice the way in which they make sure that Jesus is taken to everything required by the law of Moses? Four times the phrase, they followed the law of Moses, from his circumcision to Mary's purification after giving birth, right through the dedication and presenting of Jesus' firstborn to God, all following the exact requirements of God himself. Why? Because for this saviour to save... He must keep the covenant. This child can only save you if he does what you and I have failed to do. God's a covenant maker. We know that. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people. He said that pretty much to Adam. And Adam in the garden. Adam rejected God and he was ejected from the garden, from paradise. So God makes a covenant with Israel. And they break the covenant, and they're ejected from the promised land. So God then makes a covenant with himself, technically with his son, because his son was, was the only one who was going to keep the covenant while the rest of us failed to do it. And that's why Jesus in the Bible is sometimes called the second or last Adam. Sometimes he's called the true Israel, faithful Israel, or the son of God, because he's stepping into the shoes, our shoes. He's doing what we fail to do. So, for example, in John 14, only the son could say of his father these words. 
John 14, 31. Why don't you say it with me? I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I mean, you can say it, but only he did it. Oh, well, I can say those words, but he actually did it. I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. See what Jesus is saying? I have matched God's law with perfect obedience. I have responded to his love with perfect love. Tick, 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 tick. And then only the Father can say of his Son in a way that he can't say of the rest of us, words like Matthew 3.17 at the baptism. And a voice from heaven said, say it with me, this is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Everyone else was confessing their sins when they're getting baptized. But Jesus, he, doesn't have, he has no sins to confess. With him, as opposed to the rest of us, I am well pleased. And that is why we say, Jesus lived the life you and I should have lived, but never did. And then he died the death we deserve to die. So what you've got with Jesus, he keeps the covenant requirements for you. Because you can't do them. And then what he does, he pays for your covenant failures instead of you. Now, that's a pretty good deal. That's why we say our life is hid with Christ. I don't want to stand before God on my own. No way. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus and united to him, my life is hid with him. Your life is hid with him. And so that everything that Jesus, his righteousness is your righteousness. Your sins on his back, his obedience counted towards you. What a relief. What a relief. My, my friend was telling me that when she was much younger, she caught up with an old boyfriend in a department store. And after about three years, she hadn't seen him. And she noticed there was something different about him. They're talking. He's not the same guy. He's just kind of carrying himself in a, in a, in a you know, with his head down. There's a darkness that fell upon him. She said, what, what's, what's going on? He said, about eight months ago, I was in a, I was in a car accident and uh, my younger brother died and I was driving. And uh, he was distraught. So he blamed himself. He, the, the government took his license from him. I don't think the government fully held him res- fully responsible, but he held, he held himself fully responsible. So much so when he said the government took my license from me, he said, I wanted to be punished so much more. And you can he's trying to deal with his guilt, you see. I, I, I wanted to be punished so much more. And my friend, who was a young Christian at the time, she just blurted out these words. She said, you don't have to crucify yourself. Christ was crucified for you. You don't have to be hard on yourself. Christ took it for you. Let him lift that burden. And I know some of you, and he was, you know how he was dealing, he was medicating himself with alcohol and we all do different things to deal with those skeletons in the closet. But friends, bottom line, you can't save yourself and neither can I. We need a saviour. That's why he came. That's why we've got to surrender to the salvation God offers in the new covenant and enjoy all the blessings that come with that. You know, Simon had a word to say about Jesus, but he actually had a word to say about you and me. In verse 33, he says this, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary and Joseph, they're so amazed. I mean, they got plucked out of nowhere, right? And we're, and we're invested with the saviour of the world. She was probably, Mary, what, 16? You know, people probably only lived to about 40 then, so everything was pushed earlier. They were amazed. They were amazed probably for at least three reasons. Number one, they were being told that the destiny of humanity is going to hinge on that child in her arms. The destiny of the world is going to hinge on, on the people's attitude to this child. You will either rise to everlasting life if you are for him, or you will stumble and fall to a Christless eternity if you ignore him. So I beg you, do not ignore this one. Born to a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we may be called God, Abba Father. And secondly, she was amazed, they were amazed because this child will be spoken against. One day she will see the crowds whom Jesus had healed cry out, crucify him. She will be pierced as she watches her own son on that cross pierced and crucified for us. He is not going to be everyone's friend. He's not going to make you everyone's friend either. You know that, don't you? Third, the coming of Jesus. It's very interesting. It will expose where people truly stand with God. I did a COVID test last week and, uh, you know, I... I got, I got the flu, then, I, then I, I'm a good husband. I gave my flu to my wife and she's still sick, poor thing. <laughs> I had it for four days. She's got it for nine days and still sick. I'm so sorry, my darling. We had, yesterday was my 39th anniversary, our 39th anniversary. Uh, yeah, it was great. Not the best day when you're sick to have your honey, so we've postponed our anniversary. But anyway, uh, you know, we have a COVID test. It, it tests to see what's already there, right? whether you've got the latest version of corona or not. Well, what the coming of Jesus does, it brings to the surface whether people really love God or not. It's kind of like the, the test. In John eight forty two, you hear Jesus speak like this. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. Why? For I have come here from God. For I have come here from God. That is to say, you would expect Jesus to say, if you love me, God will be your father. But he's saying to those who thought God was their father, actually, if God is really your father, that's determined by whether you love his son. And that's me. It's like God is saying, if you don't love Jesus, wow, you never actually really love me. If you don't want to worship my son, <laughs> then you... All that's showing to me, says God, is that you never really want to worship me because he is the exact representation of who I am. I and the son are one. You know, when my sister came to faith many years ago, she said, Ray, why is it that when I talk about God, no problem, but the moment I mention the name of Jesus, there's tension in the room. In the New Covenant, I'll tell you why, because in the New Covenant, there's not only just one God, but there's one way to God. Acts 4 verse 12 says, it's one of those stunning statements. The Apostle Peter says this, Salvation is found in? For there is? Under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So make sure you trust the one 
whom salvation is given to. Only he can save. You know that, don't you? Do not rely and lean on anyone, including yourself, to save you. It's not going to work. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy, a U.S. Navy uh, personnel in World War II. He couldn't swim, but he was in the Navy. He was on the ships. They were going through battles through World War II. So what he did was he's, he put on his life jacket and he refused to take it off. Because if the ship sunk, he wanted it to save him, right? So when he went to lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, he wore his life jacket. When he went to sleep, he wore his life jacket. When he went to the toilet, he wore his life jacket. It never left him. Anyway, fast forward to 1945. The war was over. You know the first thing he did? He took off that life jacket and he threw it into the water. Then he watched it sink. All those years, he was clinging onto that which couldn't save him. We've all done that. Codependent relationship, work, some confidence in my ability to be so good. Of course, God will accept me on the last day because he can't help himself. I'm so wonderful. Whatever you think is going to save you, ditch it. It's as useful as that lifesaver that sunk in that water that day. Do not trust anything or anyone. I know we complain. Why aren't there many ways to God? But I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He said this. He said, if there were 10 ways to God, we complain why there weren't 11. If there are a million ways to God, we complain why there weren't a million and, and one. Why don't we just be thankful for the fact that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Remember, he could have finished the sentence with, no one comes to the Father, full stop, but he doesn't. There is a way except through me. Now, over the years, believers have asked questions of others to say, you know, to, to help them work out whether they're, 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 they're followers of Jesus or not. Here's a list of kind of classic questions that have been used at different times by different Christians. Question, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you belong to the way? Are you born again? But I like the last one. Are you saved? I think it's a, a Baptist tradition. I've, I've always loved it. Are you saved? Not are you a Christian, not are you a follower, are you saved? Because there's something about that word saved that is so humbling and reminds me I'm so powerless, I'm so dependent on a saviour. And if you think about it, tuning to the word saved, salvation, it's kind of everywhere. I was listening this week and uh, in COP28, we've had that lovely, the UA's done it, Dubai's done an excellent job in hosting COP28 from the UN and sustainability of our earth. And there was a, I was tuning into the language, and there was one quote that said, to save the planet, we need a just and fair renew, renewable energy supply. That is to say, we've got a responsibility to save the earth because the earth can't save itself. We're just simply too powerful now. Or, or the trapped workers in Silkiana in India. Uh, the, the, um, the government official said this, I am very happy that all the 41 trapped workers have come out and their lives have been saved marking one of the most significant rescue operations in recent years. 41 men trapped for 17 days in a tunnel, and there is nothing they can do to save them. They completely were dependent on those from the outside coming in. And friends, you and I are in exactly that same state. We need someone from the outside to come in, and he did on that first Christmas day. We need saving. Saving from what? 
Saving from everything a person needs to be saved from. Saved from a, from, from a life without purpose. Saved from a death that makes our life meaningless. Saved from sins that will condemn us and shame us. Saved from being unprepared to stand before Jesus on that last day. Saved from this broken body that is outwardly wasting away. Saved from a broken creation that is groaning into the night. Simeon, he was waiting for that first coming of the Savior. But you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you become a follower of Jesus, that, that first coming's already happened. We're waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ, where Jesus will finish what he began. That's why the Bible ends with that great word, Maranatha, which means, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Who's hungry for heaven? Oh, yeah. You know, sometimes I'm more hungrier than others. I remember when I was, I'd been a Christian for 40 years, a pastor for 30 years, and I think I'd just taken one too many funerals where parents were burying their kids. That gets me every time. And... Um, and one had just happened. And I went for about six weeks. I was really just, I was so weary. You know that weariness that you have that not even a holiday can fix? Weary in the soul. I was just tired in the soul of this broken world. And, uh, and I, I literally, I would pray every day with tears for Jesus to take me home. I was begging him to say, I don't want to be here anymore, Lord. I, I want to be with you. I want, I want to come home. And, I, and I'd be crying. I was just so longing to be with him, so longing to be out of here. I was just so, so aware of the brokenness of this world. Now, it's good to be there, but you can't quite be there all the time, eh? I was hungry for heaven. But I eventually realized, Raymond, there is a work God has for us. And we're not going to die until we accomplish that work. So get your eyes focused. You know, too many who don't know our sweet Jesus... There am I saying, sweet Jesus, take me home. And that's a good thing to say. But there's also, sweet Jesus, there are many who don't know you. you know, we, we love to say 120 nations are represented in fellowship. But what about the other 80 who call Dubai their home? What about them? You and I, we love people who don't love Jesus. So kind of I want him to come back and I don't want him to come back all at the same time. Because I want them to love him and treat him properly so that they, him and me and us can be together around the throne. Amen? And Jesus said, well, I ain't coming back until the good news of my salvation goes to all the nations anyway. So I think, thank you, Lord. Now, did you notice here the older generation, how full on they were for God at the end of their life? People like Simeon and Anna in the next passage and Zechariah and Elizabeth, they weren't perfect people, but they were godly and devout, and they were seeking first God's kingdom. Amen? You ought to make that posture your goal in life. That's what you ought to have on your bucket list. But what I love is, it was not just the old dudes who are godly, it was people like Mary and Joseph. As young parents, they too were single-minded for the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Friends, don't be distracted by the bling and the Botox and the beauty and the buzz and the, and the bigness of, of Dubai. I know it's very alluring, but it's like a mist. The, and I tell you, as one who's a little bit older than you, uh, time goes very quickly. 
And before you know it, you, you look in the mirror, you're 20, you look again and you're 60, you think, where did that go? And I'm here to say, friends, don't waste your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s chasing dreams that will come to nothing. I'm not saying don't work hard at your job and obviously love your family, of course. But try to aspire to make a difference for the kingdom in that small little part of God's kingdom you live in. Use your time. Don't get to my age and look back with a whole lot of regrets of what ifs. So that the world may know what a beautiful saviour we worship. You know, I had a relative of mine say to me, Ray, if you believe that there is no other way by which a person can be saved than to be saved in Jesus, why aren't you doing everything to save me? Wow. And you know what? She was speaking for every person who from this point as yet do not follow Jesus. She was speaking to every. He wasn't just speaking to me. She was speaking to every one of us. Why aren't you doing everything to help me know Jesus? That's why Christmas Eve's coming, friends. Five, seven, five. Sorry, eleven, five, and seven thirty. Just, just that next step, where you can invite someone who doesn't yet love Jesus, that they may love Him, and treat our beautiful, sweet Jesus with the honor He deserves, so that they, we. And all of us can be gathered around the throne for all eternity and praise his wonderful name. Is that not what we want? Amen? Amen. Let's pray to that end. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your sweet Jesus, our, our sweet Savior, who has saved us from everything a person can be saved from. But Lord, we love people who as yet do not quite love Jesus and know about him. And so, Father, we pray in whatever form it takes it may be as simple as an invite to Christmas Eve next Sunday. Father, we pray, give us that little ounce of, of confidence to be able to take that risk and do that invite. But whether it's Christmas Eve service, whether it's the next Sunday service, whether it's to Alpha, whatever it is, Lord, help us in some way to not be ashamed of you. For we, we love people who as yet do not love you and we want them to love you. And to know what it means to be truly forgiven. Oh, we love, we love being in relationship with you. And we want, to share, we want them to share in that great love. And we pray all this as your children in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said, Amen, Amen indeed. Let's praise our wonderful Saviour.